Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. It says, after these things, Jesus showed himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And when he showed himself to Simon Peter, uh, on his way, he showed himself to Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two other disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. What does Peter say? Going fishing. Some of you had that bumper sticker on your car. No, you don't. That's Idaho people. Um, he says this, uh, I'm going fishing. And so they said to him, we are going to go with you also. Then all of them went out immediately. They got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. They caught nothing. But in the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, you have any food? you catch anything? They answered him, No. He said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat. You're going to find some. So they cast their nets on the other side and were not able to draw in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John, the author of this passage. Bit of a humble brag right here. Whenever you're writing a passage and saying, you know what, the guy that Jesus loved the most, that's me. The one that Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put on his board shorts or his outer garment and he plunged into the sea out of the boat. But the other disciples came in a little boat for they were far from land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net of fish with them. Then as soon as they had got to the land, they saw, what they see? A fire of coals there and a fish laid on the coals and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. And they brought them over. Simon went up, dragged the net full of large fish, 153 fish. For all of you that were wondering how many they caught. Although there were so many, the nets were not broken. Pretty amazing. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was Jesus. It was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And likewise, the fish, there was no vegan diet here. Can I get an amen? You love, you love animals so much. Why are you eating their food? It's a joke. It's a joke. Both of my sisters are vegetarians. We'll keep going. It says this. Jesus came and took the bread, gave it to them. Likewise, the fish. And now this was the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Three more verses. When they had all eaten breakfast, someone say they were full. Very important. Say it with me. They were, they were full. Simon was full. Jesus said to him when he was full, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He goes, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He goes, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he asked him a third time, do you love me? So he said to him, Lord, you know everything about everything. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep. And in verse 19, he says, follow me. I want to pray real quick. I want to talk to you today about how we stay close to God, regardless of what life gives us. Is that okay? Write that down. How do you stay close to God, regardless of what life gives us? Lord, I just thank you for the next few moments that you would uh, be in our midst 
I thank you that your presence would be in this room in a powerful way. I pray that you would do what none of us can do, that you would heal what's broken, you would fix what's messed up. I pray that you would do the impossible and miracles. Answer prayers today in this place. I thank you that you're a good God that does great things. We invite you to have your way. Bless the Lakers in the offseason. In Jesus' name. Come on, everyone said amen. Amen. Always lose some enthusiasm. Um, how many know there's two types of little kids? Little humans, there's really just two uh, variations. I feel like they come out of the factory pretty much one of two ways. All the parents will agree on this. Little kids come out of the factory of heaven, and they are either uh, cautious and careful and very conservative and holding mom's hand or sucking their thumb. Or there's a second category of species of little humans, and they are reckless. There's no, I just, I've, there's, I've never met really many, any kids in the middle. It's they're either super cautious and careful and they're scared of their own shadows or they jump off furniture and climb up walls and they're borderline demon possessed. Are you following me? I've raised two of the latter and I'm raising a, a little girl right now. She's four years old. Her name is Chloe McCarthy Francie and Chloe, uh, I'm, I'm praying every day for her future husband. This girl is fire. She's like a blender missing a lid. It's my daughter. And she's fearless. She's, she wants to do everything, be a part of everything. And I just really feel like you know what type of kid you are by how you respond to rides at amusement parks. This is the litmus test of what type of human you are. When you're a little kid and you go to an amusement park and you're crying because they say you can't go on the ride yet. You are like my kids. Chloe's like looking at him with like an angry face. Like, are you telling me I can't go on that ride? I, I own that ride. That ride is renting space from me. And my little Chloe, she's just firecracker. And I remember, you know, we, we got to pass to Disneyland this year because we don't like having money. And um, we go to Disney. And so we've been a few times. And literally for like the first six months that we lived here, Chloe was like an inch too short for every ride that she wanted to go on. She's just barely right there, just barely. I'm like, I'm trying to train her. Like, I'm going to lean up a little bit and just kind of get the heels elevated just a little bit. Don't show the guy. And discipleship, right? So we've missed a bunch of opportunities to ride these rides. Chloe's always devastated. And literally about, uh, about two months ago, I invested in maybe one of the greatest shoes ever invented for those that are vertically challenged. They're called Nike Air Max. Nike Air Max will add about four inches to a human being. <laughs> Go 5'5 five, five to 5'9, five, just like that. So I got her some little Air Maxes, and she was literally, we got there. It was a close call, but they put her back up against the sign, and she made it. We celebrated. Praise the Lord. Broke out tambourines. Beated the blessing out of it. And uh, it was crazy. We, uh, we, we finally got her on. But uh, there's so many times that she missed the ride or almost missed the ride because she wasn't quite there. And I was thinking about this idea of just, you know, how many times in life we feel like we missed the ride. It's, but it's so close. Like I was so close to doing it right, so close to not losing my temper, so close to not getting upset, so close to not being scared, so close to not digressing or getting discouraged. I was so close. I was like in faith, exercising, doing what God wanted me to do. But for some reason, like it seems like in some moments of life, we make decisions 
that actually cause us to barely miss where we're supposed to be. And I was reading the story, and again, I felt God's heart for our church, that many times I feel like we go to church and we feel close to God, and then Monday and Tuesday comes around, and we feel like we make a choice or a decision. I think the speaker just got slain in the spirit. It's a strong anointing in here, guys. Please, crazy is you have these moments in life that you have, uh, you, you just feel like, man, I, I was close, and then you just kind of feel like you got off track. And this morning as I was praying, even this week for you guys, I just really felt like if anyone almost missed the boat, it was Peter. If you don't know his story, Peter was uh, probably, the, he was, scholars say, the oldest out of the apostles. He was likely around 18 to 21 years old when Jesus said, follow me in Luke chapter 5. Incidentally, where Jesus calls this guy named Peter, he was fishing one day. Jesus got into his boat. They put out a little bit from the land. They put down the nets. He caught so many fish that his boat began to sink. They had the signal for other boats to come help. And it was so crazy that it was the goodness of God in this miracle catch that made the sinner fall to his knees and go, God, depart from me. I'm screwed up. I love the fact that Peter wasn't down and out. He was literally up and out. He has the most lucrative day in his life of business. He catches so many fish that he probably could have taken six months to a year off. But instead of taking it easy, he started taking up his cross and following Jesus. It's crazy that he gets called. He says, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of... It's interesting that, you know, they say for sure four out of the 12 disciples were fishermen, likely six, because they say Nathaniel and Thomas were there in John chapter 21. But it's interesting that these guys, almost half of his followers were fishermen. And so uh, I was reading this passage, and I thought, man, it's so crazy. Peter is the only apostle that denied Jesus at this high of a level and somehow found a way to rebound at this high of a level. And we know in John 18 that he denies Jesus three times. He's standing next to a fire uh, lit by coals with a little girl, and the little girl's like, aren't you one of his followers? He's like, no, I don't know Jesus. I don't know that man. Another person said, don't you have a Galilean accent? You must be one of his followers. And he denied Jesus a second and a third time. The rooster crows. He makes eye contact with God. And he goes and he weeps bitterly because he had a very low moment that he missed where he was supposed to be. And here we find ourselves that he, two weeks after the resurrection, Peter's probably wondering, maybe he did come back from the grave, but surely he has nothing left for me. I've used up all of my nine lives. There's no longer any more grace in the tank for me. I've actually exhausted the mercy of God and the grace of God. And I feel like some of you today, you feel like this, that you know what? I was close in one season of my life, but I don't deserve to ever be close again. And I feel like God wanted me to just encourage you today that Peter, if anyone has an excuse to believe this lie, it's Peter. And what we find is, if you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down, that the story is so cool, is what do you do when you miss where you want to be? What do you do when you fall short in life? I don't know if you can be honest in church, but have you ever felt like, man, I wasn't as good of a dad as I should have been? I'm not as good of a, a pastor or a boss or a son or a daughter or maybe I'm not as good of a businessman or maybe, maybe I didn't make the right decision or the right deal or maybe I didn't do all the things that I could have done in this particular moment. And I don't know if you've been there before and you start beating yourself up with what ifs. But I believe this is exactly where Peter's at. What do you do when you miss, when you miss it by a little bit, when you miss the ride? And I love the story because it says that Peter... The first thing that he does on a, on a day that you feel like you miss it, I want to just give you some really, really simple uh, thoughts here today, is I believe the first thing that we do when we feel like we might miss something 
is we got to go back to the last thing that Jesus said. Have you ever noticed with your GPS that when you miss a street or miss a turn, it'll say rerouting. And the rerouting is always connected to getting you back to the last turn that you missed. I believe God does the exact same thing. He says, guys, did you catch anything? And here's what we know, and this is where I want to kind of tie it into the story. Peter almost misses everything. And we know it because in John 21, two weeks after the resurrection, he goes, guys, I've had enough. I am so discouraged that I'm going back to fishing. He wasn't saying that he was just going to go fishing one time. He's literally saying, I'm going back to my old vocation. I'm trading in my preacher sneakers, and I'm going to get my fisherman boots. And he literally makes a conscious decision that I've tried following Jesus, and I'm not worthy to follow him anymore. So I'm going back to my old life. And what I've learned about in life is usually what we do when we fail is we go back to the last habit that we formed. Have you been there before? Now, my last habit was alcohol. My last habit was this. My last habit was that. It was negativity. It was anger. It was anxiety. It was fear. And when we fall short of where we feel like we're supposed to be, discouragement usually will drive you into the last habit that you formed. Are you tracking? So he's like, the last thing I knew how to do was be a fisherman. So I'm going fishing. The 11 other guys are like, we're going with you, which is scary because I believe that shows the power of leadership. That Peter is so influential that he goes, I'm going back to my old life. And all the young disciples are like, we'll go with you. We were fishermen too. So the sons of Zebedee go back with him with Andrew and Nathaniel and, and Thomas. They hop into the boat. They go fishing. And I love the story because it says they fished all night and they caught. How good is God? He's like, oh, you want to go back to how you used to live before me? You ain't going to enjoy it. You might catch a cold. That's about it. And they caught nothing all night. They probably threw the nets out seven or eight times throughout the night. Can you imagine all night? You're just like, oh my gosh. Is there anything worse than staying up all night and not doing what you wanted to do? Just exhaust. Eyes are burning in the morning. Have you been there? Who's taking a red-eye flight? Come on. Just burning eyeballs, empty nets. And to make matters worse, you're there and you fished all night. You're like, gosh, we didn't catch anything. And the next thing they know is a stranger from the shore. Hey, guys, catch anything? No, actually, we didn't. Andrew caught a runny nose. It's about all we're catching. And they're just probably internally boiling because they tried to go back to who they used to be, and it wasn't enjoyable. I'm very grateful that in life, when you taste the goodness of God, you'll never go back to following your old lifestyle and enjoy it the same. Destructive habits are okay when you don't know about the goodness of God. But the moment you taste his goodness, when you try to go back to old habits, you'll never enjoy it with satisfaction. Are you tracking with me? It's crazy that it's like, man, it's, com- it's like almost like holy jeans. It's comfortable, but it just doesn't, it doesn't look good on you. I'm preaching to someone in here. Kidding. It's interesting, though, that they, they go back and they... they uh, he goes back to this old, we're going to go with you, they said. And so they, they go out, they catch nothing all night. And then what happens was, is they hear the guy say on the shore, why don't you throw your nets on the right side of the boat? And they listen to the voice, which if you're here today, I believe the first step to getting back to where God wants you to be when you fall short is to go back to listening to his voice. Throw your nets on the right side of the boat. They, they do it. And this is what I love about God is God will always show himself to you with a with measurement of abundance. 
I feel like one of God's favorite ways to show you that he's God is by doing something in your life that no one else could do. I think it's the mark of Christianity. When you let God into your life, he'll do things with you and through you that you could never do by yourself. How do you know? He doesn't catch six fish enough to feed them that are in the boat. He makes them catch 153 fish. Have you ever thought of the math on this? Okay, six to ten fishermen in the boat, 153 fish. Why would you give me so many fish when I only need six or seven to meet my needs? I think that we have to shatter this theology that says God only wants to take care of my deepest needs. Psalms 37 says that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires. The desires of your... I want you to know the Bible says that you are evil compared to God. And if you like to give... I I bought my little girls these little electric scooters and dirt bikes. And it is my... It's like literally one of my chief joys in life to see my little kids smile when I give them something they don't deserve. Are you hearing me right now? I don't know. Maybe I'm a bad parent, but there's been times that I probably should discipline my kids, but I'm like, you know what? I love you so much, I still got to give this to you. I can't help myself. I know you probably deserve time out, but I'm going to give you a gift instead. I'm going to go buy you a milkshake because I want one too. Come on, church. And the Bible says that your goodness and my goodness is evil comparatively to God's. And it's crazy that he always reveals himself with way more than we need. Why would God give you more than we need? I, and I just have a problem. People are like, well, God, I, I don't think I should pray for anything beyond my needs. It's like, I think that you're being selfish. One of my friends says the best way to help poor people is by not being poor. Well, God's already met all my needs. I shouldn't ask for anything else. Well, that's fine if you're you. But what about the six billion people that don't have all their needs met? What if you're, you live in America and you live in Orange County and you get a job making way more money than any other, part, other parts of the world make so that God could actually bless you to be a blessing to other people? Look, I'm glad you have your house and your car and your trips and your, your 401k, but what about people that can't make what you make here? Shouldn't we believe that God, maybe you, you put me here and maybe I can pray to actually ask you for more than what I could get by myself Maybe more, more than just my needs so that you can actually meet the desires of other people. God will always give you more fish than you need. How do you know he's got a variety? He's big. How do you know that God's big? Because only a big God would make 8.7 million different species on the earth. You know there's 8.7 million species on the earth and the majority of them are unclassified. Do you know there's 400,000 different variations of flowers on the earth? Do you realize there's, there's over 32,000 different types of species of fish in the ocean and in lakes? There's over 340 different breeds of dogs. Why would God make such a large variety and such a large inventory? Why would he do things so grand? You ever thought about why would you make the earth and make the universe as big as it is if it's just us living here? Like scientists are telling us it's, it's, the universe is expanding, it's, it's, it's expanding at the speed of light right now. They tell us, it's interesting that Abraham gets out of his tent and God doesn't say, hey, look up Abraham at the seven peaks around you. So will your descendants be like the seven peaks. He says, look at the uncountable stars. Because God will always reveal himself to you bigger than you think he is. So Peter, what's he do? He, uh, he, he hears Jesus and, and Jesus goes, I want, you to, uh, I want you to throw your nets on the other side. He obeys his voice. They catch more than they ever thought they could have caught. 
And, they, and, and then this is what's interesting, is he's on his old boat doing his old life. And here's what I believe, when we miss the mark, what we, we got to do, is whenever we miss what God wants us to do, Peter makes a conscious decision when he realizes that God is over there to actually jump ship from where he is and go back to where God is. Scholars talk about all the symbolism and there's all these weird shadows and stuff, but it's interesting that he jumps out of the ship into the, the water. Water always represents the word of God and it always represents the Holy Spirit. And some scholars say it represents water baptism and repentance. So when Peter's like, I'm not getting in the little boat with you guys and going to shore. I'm going to jump in and I'm going to swim in the presence of God towards the presence of God. And it's crazy that as he's pursuing Jesus, Ephesians 5 says that we're washed with the water of God's word. It's crazy that he has a dirty conscience and probably really, really uh, grieved uh, himself and condemned. But you know what he does when he's feeling low? is he starts actually swimming in the promises and the word of God. This is the idea here, is he jumps in the waters and God says, change my heart, change my mind, swims towards God. And the first thing, I love this, when he gets onto the shore that happens is, is he sees Jesus standing in front of a fire that's burning with coals. This is crazy. I looked this word coals up. The only other place this word coals is in the Bible is in John 18, 18, when Peter is standing in front of a fire because he's cold, right when he's getting ready to deny Jesus three times. See what Jesus does as the great producer of heaven and director? Is he paints a scene that's the exact similar scene of where Peter screwed up terribly. And the first thing that Peter sees when he walks onto the beach is the very environment that he denied Jesus was the very environment that God would redeem him three times and say, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He reinstates what he denied three times. And he did it. Where did he do it? He did it at the fire in front of the same type of coals that he denied Jesus. Isn't that a great thought? And what do you do when you, when you miss it? I believe that we have to do the last thing that Jesus said, and we got to jump ship. I, th- I really do believe the Oceans Church is going to be a community that helps people realize that your old habits does not make the new you. Old habits do not forge and form who God wants you to be in the future. If they didn't satisfy you when you were young, they're not going to satisfy you when you're old. And what do you do when you do the last thing? You do the last thing that you're supposed to, that you heard. Where do you get your call from? And here's the second part. I'm going to have the band come up. I'm almost finished. I believe two things, that you can have a close call and miss out on what God has for you, but you get back to it by jumping ship and doing the last thing that God told you to do. Second part of my message, and I'll finish up. Where, this is kind of the the thought that God gave me. He said there's close calls, but we get our call from God when we're close to him. We get our call when we're close to him. It says that they got out of the boat, they get to the shore, Jesus is standing around the fire. You know what they did? Is they actually got close enough to God to actually eat with him. And I just really feel like there's a lot of Christians in America today they, they eat, but they're eating somebody else's food. Like, you ever notice, like, that, that I'm trying to, trying to say this without being gross, but it's interesting that, like, like, birds, some birds will actually eat food, the moms will eat the food, chew on it, and then regurgitate it and give it to the children. And I feel like that's kind of a picture of what's happening in Christianity today, is we're living off the nourishment of other people's meals. Man does not live by podcasts alone. 
but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Look, I'm all about great teaching and great preaching, but at some point I have to dig my own well. We have a generation of people that are literally transporting the water of other people's wells. And God told me when I was 19, he said, Mark, if you don't dig a well, you'll eventually burn out because you get tired of carrying other people's water. I don't want to burn out. I don't want to live off someone else's revelation of God. I said this last week, but secondhand Christianity is killing people. I don't need your, I don't need your, your fire. I need my fire. I don't want to live in the smoke of your flames. I need to know God for myself. And Peter, Nathaniel, and Thomas, and Peter, John, and James, they get up next to Jesus at the meal, at the fire, and they begin to eat the fish with Jesus. They begin to eat it with Jesus. And when, when God fills them up in his presence, because I want you to know this, in his presence is the fullness. You know what God will do when you make time for him? He'll fill you up. Do you know why so many people burn out? Because they don't take time to fill up. Do you know that all of us are like buckets that, that are, that, help, that, talk Mark. That's what you do for a living, dude, talk. We're all like buckets and we have holes in our buckets and life has a way of draining us throughout the week. That's why Sunday morning you can be so full and Monday night you can be so empty. How did that happen so fast? Life has a way of emptying us. And that's why it's so important that every day, God, give me this day my daily bread. We got to spend time in the fire next to him and say, God, would you fill me up? Because I'm just telling you right now, the most frustrating way to live your life is to try to live like Jesus without Jesus. To try to live godly without God. And we have a generation of people that their lives are falling apart because we want the benefits of knowing God without any of the responsibilities of spending time with Him. If you're too busy to spend time with God, I say it all the time, you're too busy. Peter sits down to the fire and says, God, this is like, I screwed up, missed this thing. He's full. And when he starts getting full again, he starts getting restored again. I love the fact that when God meets with you and He fills you up, it's never just for you. This missionology idea is that Peter eats and is full and the moment he's full, Jesus says, do you love me? I love that Jesus doesn't expect Peter to do anything for him until he fills up. If I can talk to all the leaders of Ocean's Church, if you keep serving every week and you don't fill up, eventually you'll go, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Do you know that's not a, it's not a, uh, capacity issue it's a you're not filling up your bucket issue and what I've learned is I can't fill up everybody's buckets every week but I can empty mine and every week on Sunday mornings I fill myself up so I can pour myself out and I'm telling you right now that no one else is responsible for filling up your bucket can I get an amen in the church we have a generation like well I would be more mature if I had a pastor I had a mentor I had this do you you have wikipedia you have every sermon by every great communicator on the earth. You have libraries at your fingertips on your smartphone of every great author that's lived since Jesus. We have every excuse in the world, but we're still like, well, I, I, it's someone else's fault that I'm not mature. No, it's, it's at some point we have to own, I'm responsible to feed myself. And people think that, you know, the mark of maturity is how big you get or how big the church gets. Churches and people are mature, not by size, but by the ability to reproduce. Peter, do you love me? He's like, yeah, you know I love you. Then he says, then tend or feed my lambs. Feed. 
Every time Jesus asks if we love him, he always says, help other people. If, do you love me? Okay, help other people. Oh, you love me? Help other people. You love me? Okay, it's not about you anymore. It's about helping other people. Christianity is not about just you being blessed. It's about you being a blessing to other people. It's not just about us. It's not just about us. And I'm just telling you, the fastest way to emptiness is to think that, that God is only interested in just blessing you for your benefit. God, you're going to do something in me, write it down, so you can do something through me. Satisfaction comes and you're like, God, you know I love you. He's like, all right, do something then. Go feed somebody. You know what I've learned in my short life of 35 years? I look like I'm 34. But you know what I learned is, is I learned that uh, everybody has somebody that's looking up to them. If you're in sixth grade, there's a fifth grader that thinks you're big. If you're, if you're six years old, there's a three-year-old that thinks you're mature. Are you following me? How many of being a little kid, you're like, 18-year-olds are adults? That was a lie. I see 18-year-olds now, I'm like, do they still wear diapers? My gosh, they look like babies. It's crazy that everyone looks up to somebody. And I've learned this, that if you only eat and you never digest you'll eventually get bloated and you'll eventually die. And I think there's an epidemic in our generation that we consume in churches all the time and we're takers, but we never become somebody that actually poured into other people. I want you to come to church like a pregnant woman. What do you mean? That's weird. I want you to come to church that you're not just eating for yourself, you're eating for somebody else. And I'm going to eat so much in the presence of God that when I leave this building, I'm going to feed the people that are connected to me. Are you hearing me? This is the type of church that we're going to see and we're going to build. Is that we're going to get so much of God that we're going to eat like, like an abundance. So that when we get to our neighbors that are anemic and they're dying and they're spiritually dehydrated, we can say, I got extra water. I got extra food. I got extra nourishment. And I'm going to feed you with what God has fed me. Fastest way to grow is to share with others what God is sharing with you. But we don't grow because we think it's only about us. That's why I'm excited for our groups to start next week and you start doing life with people, spend some time with Jesus, show up to group, and add value to someone's life. And it's interesting that when you start helping others, God begins to somehow, he who waters others will himself be refreshed, be watered. People always ask me, they say, Mark, what, what do I do if no one's doing for me what I want? Like, no one's mentoring me or pouring into me or counseling me or helping me. You know what I always tell people? If you're frustrated by the absence of a voice in your life, be that voice for somebody else. Because when you do it for somebody else, the way that you wish somebody would do it for you, it's so crazy how God is faithful to bring people into your life that start encouraging you, coaching you, helping you, watering you. Come on, give me a hand clap today. That's what God does. We'll wrap this up. We're going to be a church that might be close but we're going to know how to get back to God when we miss it. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.